zero hours. Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero hours! Hello, and welcome to Zero Hours Podcast with me, Catherine Mather, where I speak to comedians and creatives about the best and worst jobs that they've had to do to get by. Today, I'm joined by presenter, uh, actor, and comedian, Mike Capazzola. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Good morning. I'm so sorry. I got back in at 2 a.m. and it is the morning. So I, we had literally just been through your jobs list. And I'm like, I can't remember. I can't remember three words. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize. How are you doing, Mike? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's an honor to be, uh, I've, it's an honor to be asked to be on your podcast. I think you're the first person um, in the United Kingdom to, to, uh, think that I qualified for their comedian podcast <laughs> I think everybody qualifies for this podcast like nobody's had an excellent job history have they no no nobody's born into it that's and if they are they better have the chops otherwise it's like they get maybe 55 seconds of, of the crowd's attention like god they suck they only they're only here because such and such yeah it's interesting that isn't it that you can't uh pretend you could <laughs> you can only pretend for so long yeah yeah it's got to be there yeah you get found out pretty quickly <laughs> you know there's probably a word for it but if if somebody you know like everyone has their pet peeve like some people i know like their pet peeve is if the previous comic goes over their time or and obviously above all stealing like mm-hmm. they'll chase you with torches and rightfully so i found out early on that one of the things that i hate most is when someone's on a tv show and the show ends and they're like, what am I going to do next? And they're like, I really love all this adulation, but I can't learn to play bass, guitar, drums, keyboards. I can't sing. I'm going to have someone write some jokes for me and start doing stand up. That is my number one pet peeve. But it also that's where the proof is in the pudding. Like, hey, you loved him on this show. Is that zany guy? And then he can come out and do his like, what's up, ladies? And then he's his character for maybe a minute. And then there's nothing. And they learn. It, it's like a it's like a like a traveling carnival carnival guy selling snake oil that does nothing where it's like the crowd shows up and then the booker goes holy shit that was an hour and 10 minutes of nothing <laughs> you know, people wanted their money back it feels like you have a person in mind but i'm not gonna ask you <laughs> for any names <laughs> i i won't i won't i won't uh, go into any names but uh i i've seen it happen you know i literally like this i've got to see and sure enough it was someone from a from a hit show and they weren't a comic they clearly like can you write some jokes for me you know literally the crowd go, they're on their feet for like a minute like oh, he's here oh oh god I, i've been looking all, i've been looking forward we got a babysitter we paid the bridge toll and then I watched it degenerate to like nothing. Like, what is going on here? What, what happened? Yeah, I think you can always tell who are the actors when you go to a gig, can't you? Because they've got, uh, not all actors, I'm not saying that, but yeah. you know, like um, having stage presence and being able to write a joke are two very different things. Yes, yes. And it's yeah. like, that is a very well presented turd. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun to watch. It is the great equalizer. Like it's 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 like you're watching justice unfold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, what did you get into first? Was it acting or was it comedy? Um, I had done plays in high school and junior high school, but uh, stand. I'd always wanted to do stand up. Like that was, or I knew it would be in comedy. I just wasn't sure. Did you see, did you see any of the Batman movies? I've seen some Batman movies, but I couldn't tell you which. 
you know, there's like, they all kind of a variation on him. Like he wants to avenge his parents' death, but he just has to figure out the method, you know, like he's got anger, he's got money, but how? And then eventually like, I'll become a bat, you know? And I just knew I loved comedy, like, you know, but I didn't know if I had the, I just didn't like, well, I can't, I just can't make a living out of being a class clown or can I, how do I do this? And stand up once I discovered stand up like eddie murphy was big when i was like 11 you know catherine there was something in america called the columbia record and tape club it was kind of a scam but like anybody of a certain age would remember like you'd see these ads in rolling stone magazine or in comic books like we'll send you eight tapes for a penny and wow. you agree to buy a new album or tape mm -hmm. every month if you don't like it just send it back and they're counting on people not paying attention and they go oh no oh how did i wind up with Bob Denver's, John Denver's greatest hits, one, two, and three, that, you know, if you take your eye off, then you get a bill for 80 bucks or whatever, but you, you do initially get eight tapes, maybe 12 tapes for a penny. Yeah. And I got all these, I got all these great records, but I also, or tapes, I got Eddie Murphy's first two comedy albums and I got Rodney Dangerfield's album, yeah. Rappin' Rodney, which is not even his best work. You know who he is, Rodney Dangerfield? He's an American. I know the died. name, but I don't. He was in a bunch of movies, but it's very silly where you'll, if you listen to a musician where they were like, let's say they saw Jimi Hendrix play, like my older brother snuck me in when I was five, you know, and yeah. I knew then I wanted to be a guitarist. This tape cracked me up. And because it was recorded in a club in stereo, I almost felt like if I closed my eyes, you know, go, good night, you know, put the headphones on and you could hear the beer bottles clinking and Rodney moving around the stage. Cause it was left and right channels. You know, I had my, my, my Sony Walkman tape player. And, yeah. and it was like, you're in the room with Rodney. He's doing crowd work. And it was mostly one-liners. Right. Kind of an underdog. You know, he would, he would start by saying, I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape, rough shape. And then he would tell you how his week fell apart and all these things that went, my wife, my mechanic, oh, my doctor, he's a piece of work, you know, and all this. And that was it. That I just, I want to do that. And that was it. And, you know, the rest was all like, okay, math class, fine, you know, or whatever. So what what was the how many years was it between those tips and getting up and doing it so i was probably like 11 or 12 when i got the get the tapes <laughs> and this was by 1984 this was like an epic thing for music so like it was it was a trial it was like a, a neck and neck race of like van halen tom petty the police you too rm you know and and getting all these things but uh I, my first gig was 1990 so probably like a seven or eight year stretch of um soaking up comedy and getting on stage for the first time and were you sort of writing in that time insofar as a teenager can do um um i don't know if you know i'm a cartoonist maybe some people know some people don't i draw so it was it was drawing which was like in lieu of there being a crowd it was the slow poke method where i would draw a cartoon and have to go hey check this out and see if they laugh you know so showing it one at a time hey come here i drew this yeah so i was writing for the eyeball you know it wasn't writing for the ear it was single panel cartoons like like the new yorker type stuff sometimes strips they weren't very good but to me they were good you know when you're 11 it's like it belongs in a museum yeah not on the course. not on my mom's refrigerator this should be in a museum <laughs> i will not stand for this disrespect <laughs> yeah, this will not stand <laughs> so that's that's interesting. do you feel like those years of soaking up comedy 
then sort of translated into did it make it easier for you when you actually started on stage yeah I think so it, like as you know like there's no um you can't take a comedy class it's just you have funny bones or you don't and we know what that is you know it's like charisma yes like David Bowie oh my god just like you know if David Bowie's in a crowd of 800 people you're just like Bowie and there's also 799 other people by the way if you squint but it's like Bowie and I think comedy's like that, where you got it or you don't. And yeah, um, it, yeah it was, it was kind of like soaking it up, but not knowing how to go about it. But eventually, you know, it became clear. Yeah. And then was it, have you just been consistently gigging from 1990, which was two years before I was born? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I had, we all had day jobs. Nobody just like signs up, you know, like you can sign up and work on a submarine and start and you're, you're out at sea the next day for whatever they do a two year tour. But yeah, stand up. It was like, I had day jobs. So sometimes I would go 10 days without a gig until something came up, you know, obviously unpaid and far away. And it only cost me $30 to go do this gig four hours away and come back at six in the morning. But, it, but I got to try the new joke. It worked or it didn't. When, when you explain it, when you actually put what you're doing into words, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It, and also, Catherine, a friend of mine had said, you know, Mike, this is years ago, but it's, it, it, it didn't deflate anything, but it, it just kind of like, ugh, it was like a gut punch where he's like, you know, your job is just basically to get people to expel air from their lungs. Like, oh, shit, Keith, when you put it like that. <laughs> if we boil down everybody's jobs, they all sound shit, though, right? Yeah, right. It's true. <laughs> filling someone else's head with nonsense or getting someone to buy this metal box that keeps things cold yeah. yeah if we uh if we learn anything from this podcast it's that all jobs bar like two are utter bullshit um, yeah <laughs> that probably yeah. don't need to be done <laughs> yeah yeah but once in a while you'll hear of a job and you you get paid for that like yeah like wow like <laughs> incredible where you almost like I, you don't have to pay them to do this, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it with comedy. You spend most of the time paying for it. And then you get to a point where people are like, what? 200 pounds for 10 minutes work? And you're like, yeah, but I have been traveling for 20 hours. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I try to think of it as back pay sometimes. Yes. That's a good point. Because they can't give like, you know, if you look out the window and like there's somebody walking their dog, like you can't pay him 200 pounds and expect that he'll entertain the crowd for 10 seconds, let alone 10 minutes. Like it's, there isn't like the chops are, are you're, you're being rewarded for the chops that you have worked on at great personal expense, emotionally, financially, physically, you know, nutritionally. Yeah, yeah. So, cause it's years, it's practicing years. before you get to any kind of money. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So the first gig that you did, you so you knew that that's what you wanted to do and then yeah. did the first gig sort of confirm yeah we are doing this yeah yeah it did it was just like it was the greatest the greatest do you have a recording of it i have a crap vhs tape back in new york in a box that i really should digitize but i would cringe if i watched it and uh, there is an audio cassette of it it was a competition it was in this wow. uh, in the pub yeah it was the it was in a pub in college in the in the student union and um 
what I remember most is I wanted to work on this comedy TV show at the, t at the college TV station. And it was all run by these guys who were much older than me. And they were probably, in, in fairness to them, they were assholes. But I think I was kind of too, come on, I want to, I could act in this sketch. I wrote a sketch. And like, Mike, we just need you to carry cables. And two of the fellows need more coffee. I wrote a sketch. <laughs> and I know I made a pain in the ass of myself because I was just impatient and they were older. They knew better. They knew it, it was like a, it was like a Saturday night live TV show. Yeah. And, and I'm just coming along like a barking dog, like, ah, 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 just get the cables. <laughs> no, no, you don't understand. I've got half an hour of material. No, you yeah. haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote eight scripts last night. Like you wrote eight <laughs> scripts last night. That's great. We still need cables and those guys are waiting for their coffee. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it was like, I think it was 25 other comics. So everybody did five minutes. And I creamed them all. I came in first and, and I got $150, but the 150, as much as I needed money in college, the thrill of knocking over two or three of those guys. And it's, it's, you know, you know what it's like, it's not petty, it's not being bitter, but it's just, it's confirming, like, just like almost like Batman biding his time, like, I'm going to come after the criminals, but how, how will I do it? And then, so I've been biding my time writing. And then all of a sudden, I remember the, the host was this guy, Terry. I knew him and I could see that he was happy that I won because it, you know, he knew me. He wasn't just as a friend and, you know, but the crowd voted and he's like, and it was, he's like, Mike Capazola. And it was just, and I got $150. I went out and bought a new pair of jeans and, and then, uh, and I got my ass kicked at the next competition. <laughs> I, I remember this girl, I just remember this week I was on such a high and then this girl who I didn't know was visiting a buddy and she's like I saw you at the comedy show you were so funny what was that thing you did about the blah 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 and, you know of course I did the bit over oh you mean bark, bark, bark. and then she goes are you going to do any other competitions and I go yeah yeah I'll be at the next one for sure and I was like oh man now I gotta write another five minutes and I got my ass kicked. I, I, somebody in the crowd made heckled and I antagonized them and I probably burned off four minutes like barking at them or whatever I was doing that fucked it up. And so it went from this like, I'm funny. I beat, a, I beat everybody ah, to like, mm. but it was, it was such a cool lesson where you don't just show up. And I was like, I liked that there was something to work at. Yes. And I feel like that second gig you have something to compare to or is mm -hmm. the first gig you do not and whatever you do although it sounds like yours was a very good one given that yeah. you won but like whatever you do in that first gig is amazing if you get one laugh in five minutes that's one mm -hmm. more laugh than you've had in five minutes isn't it yeah whereas at that second and third and fourth gig you're like oh my god i actually understand what <laughs> yeah. dying on my ass feels like yeah yeah, it, it's very instructive. If, if you're smart enough to like keep your eyes open and and take it all in, you, you learn these lessons accidentally. Like you're like, oh shit, I just realized something. I skipped I skipped the setup and I did just the punchline. That's why I got no laugh. You know, whatever. Yeah, in excitement or, or nervousness, or like, oh, they have no idea what they have no idea that the, this took place in a courtroom. They just they just um, you know it's just a guy moving his mouth that they don't have context, and then the whole joke crumbles. Yeah. So would you, because I mean, doing a competition for your first gig is bold as fuck. 
Um, and I know so many people who are like, yeah, my first gig, I just typed in comedy nights in London and it came Ooh. up with King Gong at the comedy store, which oh. is a fucking bear pit. And so I if heard. that was your first ever gig, it's yeah. like you would never do it again. It is yeah. horrible. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap of like, oh, well, you know, it says it's a competition, but I'm sure it'll yeah. be fine. And then they just never do it again because it's the competitions are rough. So. Yeah. With that in mind, and I, I do appreciate that you won, would you do a competition as a first gig again? It was the only gig. It was the only thing. It was the only chance. Oh, I know what it was. I, w- I was working on the TV station as the host of the news, which is not funny, but because I could, you know, I was an extrovert. I, I was, um, they'd asked me to MC the other variety shows, but they were like music, poetry, a lot of crappy lip syncing, whatever the big groove is in the heart, you know, like that kind of, you know, 18 fraternity brothers lip syncing groove is in the heart, just crap like that. But then it's always like a comedian lip syncing, whatever, contortionist, some guy who's amazing at juggling bowling pins. Great. But then the next one was all comedy. I was like, Ooh, all comedy. Hmm. I didn't expect to do well. I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to Hey, you mentioned the bear pit. I remembered something the other day that, that thank God it didn't happen, but something that could have really like scarred me for life where I was in Boston, it, like one summer or whatever, in between semesters in college. And I went to a comedy club, paid to get in. Yeah. I, I couldn't drink. I wasn't old enough to even drink, you know, like it was 18 to drink or 21 to drink. And I was probably 18 or 17, but I paid whatever hideous you know and the two drink minimum meant that I had to have like milk or (laughs) ginger ale and sit in a certain section where the cocktail waitresses don't bring beers and I don't know what prompted me to do this but I found the manager and I said uh I'm a comic I'm uh, I'm in from out of town Uh, I'd love to do some time like I knew the language I knew the 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 terminology yeah but the the same way you know like you would impersonate a doctor and like I think I could help with the third thoracic vertebrae I'm a professional doctor visiting from Cambridge (laughs) but thank god the guy didn't go like this what's your name and I go I'm Mike Capazzola and okay I'll tell you what man you're up after Philip yeah imagine if I got up there because I didn't have jokes I just thought I'd like play with the crowd like what if I do that I could play with the crowd I could interrupt thank god that didn't happen because they would have can you imagine boston's a tough town like if i was up there and this was a paying crowd and like we have a treat this guy's in from out of town ah that would have been the worst i would have been i probably would still be shaking like it was a mistake it's just a mistake Ah, i was young i didn't i don't know like like the way the jails are filled with people who made a tragic error at age 14 and they're still in there yeah oh fuck. yeah so i wouldn't to have the confidence to do that Oh, it was stupidity. It wasn't even, I mean, it wasn't even (laughs) arrogance. It was just stupidity. I just wanted it so badly. And you know, when you watch these comics who are good, it looks so effortless. Like they're just talking. It's all, it looks like a conversation and it's not. And I think I just thought I could do that. They're just up there talking and getting laughs. Like, you know, without knowing, what do you know at 17? Nothing. And so I'm so glad. I'm so thankful that the manager saw through my bullshit just like well, yeah we can't maybe if you called two weeks ago but we can't because yeah. i never would have it would have been so horrendous a paying crowd with a kid who's never done anything <laughs> just chatting shit <laughs> they would have chased me and beat me 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that was, that was like, I consider that my big break where I, where the guy was like smart enough to see through my, my act. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> it really does. There. Yeah. <laughs> so I usually ask this as the first question, um, but this has been a, a lovely comedy chat. Um, what has been your worst job? A like a straight job, a day job? Yeah, I just, yeah, which, what's the, you know, it, when I say worst job, what's the first thing that you're like, oh my God, <laughs> that. I worked in a supermarket in, uh, I mean, you mean like overall, not just like when you're trying to pay the bills as a comic. I worked um, nights and weekends in high school, not, not, not too many school nights, but I worked in a supermarket and it was just, it was kind of a good this is before college and you know, it's kind of a good look at like, I don't want to be doing this forever. Mm -hmm. And um, the guy that ran the, the supermarket on the weekends and at night, I forget his name. I think it was Hector. He didn't like me and he accused me of stealing, which I wasn't stealing. There's no way to pocket, like, you know, there's no way to pocket sirloin beef and, and cartons of milk. You just, yeah. there's nowhere to hide it. But, and, oh, and he was later fi fired for stealing. I think he was trying on the alibi, but he was just an asshole. Just, you missed a spot, you know, or like, I, I don't think you swiped that out. You, you didn't, you didn't mop that aisle. Like I did mop that aisle. It doesn't look too clean. Do it again. He was, there was something about him where I think he saw that I wasn't destined to be in the supermarket forever. And he probably was. Yeah. And he liked the power. Yeah. And he wasn't too much older than me, but this is a guy and I, yeah, Hector. He, he, and it was just hard. You know, it was like, it was just one of those jobs where you're exposed to everything like hunger, dirt, freezing, crawling into like, yeah, there's a, there's a, you know, splinters, whatever it was, you know, and it didn't pay a lot, mm. but anyway, it, it was, that was also like a good, like a do not, like I've got to avoid a life where I'm working in a supermarket, um, swipe, sweeping up the floors and mopping them at two in the morning and crawling into a crawl space to see if there's like, if that pallet of whatever is expired or missing or, you know, just, I remember cutting my back on something, you know, like, like a, just the one nail sticking out of this crawl space. My back managed to finally like, ah, what the, you know, hey yeah. man, your shirt's bloody. Yeah, I got a nail in my back, you know, things like that. That was the worst. Yeah. So how old will you have been then? In New York State, you could work at 15 with the permission of your parents. It's almost like old school turn of the century child labor laws, but like, well, with the permission of your parents who are all too happy to have me out of the house, not at <laughs> home, making jokes you know, earning a few bucks where I could, you know, if I want to buy comic books and I'll, you know, I could get the comic books or whatever. So 15, I think, because I could walk there. I didn't need to drive yet. So yeah, I think 15. Right. And it's, um, it's incredible how little they can pay somebody that young, isn't it? Minimum wage, you know, and back then it was lower than it is now. Like it would sound ghastly, like $3 and 35 cents for an hour of pretty intense work. You know, yeah. there's nothing easy about bringing in sacks of fertilizers, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's similar work to that that an adult will do, isn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 I think my first job was three pounds an hour, which is insane. I think 18 quid for a day of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it teaches you a work ethic. You know, at least, you know, like you got to be there on time. Mm -hmm. you can't you have to dress a certain way you can't it, it's 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 regimented it's not the army but it's like you learn what's acceptable and what's not the customer is right mm -hmm. 
even if the customer has some insane idea, like where do you where do you keep the orange milk? Like, orange milk? There's no orange milk. Don't tell me there's no orange milk. And they maybe they mean like a creamsicle milkshake mix, but you just have to like um, let me find Hector, and he knows all. He knows everything about things. Where's the orange milk? The customer's right. He knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hector's got a half decade of experience, so I think he knows what's going on. <laughs> so was that your first job? No, before that I was a camp counselor because uh, I was a CIT, so it wasn't technically a job. You got like a little stipend at the end, and I was a it was a counselor in train. I was I worked at a day camp as a counselor. I was thirteen, and um, I would be the first one picked up by the camp van, and then we would go around early in the morning and get the kids. I'd be like, I'd be the one that would like ding dong, and then walk them to the van. Then we go to the next address, you know, it's like, you know, like a clockwise, like bring, get all the campers, you know, I don't know what time I got picked up, probably like it's quarter to seven or something like that. I got $200 for the whole summer. And that was not easy. That was a long, long, but I, I had enough for stereo. I remember like 200 and it paid for every penny of it went to this Emerson combination stereo turntable, tape deck, FM and AM all in one, you know, and uh, like the size of a small suitcase. Yeah. And that was it. Mission accomplished. I got my turntable after a, after two months of all this, you know, coming home like, you know, sunburnt, beat up, you know. So thirteen is very young. Camp counselor. What does that entail? Because I'm thinking the only counselor that I can imagine is. And how does that make you feel? <laughs> uh, what would they call like a childminder? You know, like like they right. were they were. They were, these were little kids. They all had cutesy names. Like this group is the tigers. These guys are the ducks. The girls are the swans, you know, like I forget tigers, I think, or lions was the name of the group, you know, and they're all, all between kindergarten and first grade or first grade and second grade, you know, good kids. They're, you know, but yeah. uh, get dressed for swim, you know, and then get them from the changing room to the pool. And then, and then when they're dried off later, take them down to the kickball field and, and, uh, you know, tie someone's shoe before they, before they break their neck and, you know, all that stuff. Or like, line up for lunch. Don't forget this one, his mom packed his lunch. He's having, rah, 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 rah. you know, that kind of stuff. Get them to the car, get them out of the car, walk them to the door. Okay. Well, that is uh, both more and less um, intense responsibilities than I thought <laughs> for somebody of that age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could, you know, they were all, all the other counselors were high school and college. Like they were, I was small and I would hear their stories. Like it was kind of cool, like out of earshot to like, you know, where they, how did it go with Becky at the Aerosmith concert? She let me feel her breast in the, in the backseat afterwards. I would hear these stories at 13, like it's real. These things happen unless he's lying, you know, like, you know, the counselors are just talking, you know, they'd be, be like, Hey, don't forget to kick your legs smoking you know like when they're in the pool like don't forget to kick your legs and blow bubbles so what's the what's the song ended i leaned over to get more pepsi and and my head blah, 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 you know whatever their stories were i just thought it was the greatest because they were all in high school and college and i was in between like seventh and eighth grade or eighth and ninth grade it was it was pretty you know they weren't by any means like older brothers they didn't know what to make of me they, they didn't have any use for a 13 year old with no life experience but i got to hear i remember them smoking pot during a kickball game i remember this like learning about it in drug class in 
junior high school and they're, you know, they're just hanging back. Somebody's arm is over a fence where the cigarette is not seen and they're passing a joint back and forth. And I remember like, that's different from Marlboro. Oh my God, I bet it's marijuana. You know, and just them like, Tommy, you got to put a little more <coughs> kick into the kick. Don't, don't take your eye off the ball. Passing the <laughs> joint to Jerry and Jerry, you know, smoke. You know, I just, because there's no supervision. The adults are all in the, the, the owners are in the office on the phone, you know, like, oh, he's going home early. He's got a headache. They, there was no, no one was supervising the counselors. So it was a, it was a wild world for me as a 13 year old to see that stuff. That sounds amazing. That was 1983, <laughs> 1984. Yeah. You know. So then was it from there that you went um, to the, the wonderful world of supermarket? Yeah, I think, I think a year later I did that. I th- it was actually, I think I was doing, a, I was doing the camp council stuff during the, the week in the summer and that summer at, at night once in a while, but mostly on the weekends was when I worked in the supermarket. Yeah. I think it was like, a, I was, I was pulling down lots of crazy cash at camp counselor, that windfall of counselor money or CIT counseling training. And then the supermarket two years later, just a windfall. Oh gosh, so much disposable income. But I had expenses, Catherine. I loved music. I mean, this was like comic books, music, concert tickets. That was, those were my operating expenses. I didn't, I wasn't drinking. I wasn't smoking weed. It was just, I love my comic books. I loved records, concert tickets, you know, and also, you know, so those, those, they, they add up. Like if you want to buy blank tapes and, and copy your friend's records that you don't have, it all, it all adds up. So those were, you know, I was making enough money to cover the, what I considered needs, not even like, that's a nice idea. Needs. Well, yeah, you're finding your um, identity and your personality yeah. at that age, aren't you? And it's, um, I think having the, the financial independence from your parents um yeah it's it's such a big thing isn't it even if it's like 20 quid a week yeah it's um you know it's yours is to do with whatever you want totally um, it's everything in the winter my brother and I shoveled driveways like I you know we had a work ethic my my dad's dad came from the depression my dad remembers having nothing in the Bronx you know there was a work ethic you could there was no they were both teachers there was no uh cushion of money where like you don't have to work this summer you and your brother are going to go to Europe you know, like there was none of that, you know, yeah. I knew kids like that, but I, you know, so I, I liked having the, the independence that whatever this five bucks here, five bucks there gave me, you know, it's probably yeah. good training. <laughs> it's good training for comedy later where it's like, I bought my own jeans like that. <laughs> well, yeah, as well. I think there's, um, you, you can very much tell the people that go into it who hustle and the people who are like, oh, that doesn't pay me enough you know, well, come on, get a perspective. Um, we didn't play it safe. We didn't choose the safe route. We chose a very long road with an uncertain ending. It's just like, there's no markings there. You know, like um, the castle is just <clears throat> eight miles ahead on that path. You have to like imagine a castle eight miles ahead on this dark, twisty, uncertain road maybe the bridge is out who knows but it's we've chosen a we've chosen a weird path and we wouldn't have it any other way that's this isn't something you go into lightly no no what what is it that story i can't remember um the american comedian who did, did a story about um a band having to walk through the snow to get to a venue i was and, just uh, talking about that last night yeah looking and into my- the house my friend corrected me. I, I, we were chatting just last night in Crouch End, walking into town about, it's from 
it, Jerry Seinfeld tells that story in yes. the documentary Comedian. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my friend who was, who was actually, he had, he made, it was because he had a part in, he was in the movie. He, he's one of the guys at the Comedy Cellar. And I was, I love that story about uh, Count Basie and the orchestra, Duke Ellington. Mike, it's Duke Ellington in the orchestra. And they have to, they have to land in a field uh, far from the gig, walk through the snow. They're in their, they're in their tuxedos. They were expecting to land at an airport and go through the door, but they had to go in a field and they passed by a farmhouse and inside there, there's a big sumptuous feast. The fire is roaring. The kids are happy. It's like somebody looks in the window like, ah, how could people live like that? <laughs> That's the one. You told it much better than me. It's, um, yeah, it's perspective, isn't it? And it's funny, just last night, just last night, like to me, that story, that was the highlight of the movie mm-hmm. for me, because it really, I believe it's a true story. And man, that's it in a nutshell, you know? Yeah. I, I remember um, uh, a friend's boyfriend, I was telling him about, you know, how hard it is gigging. And he went, Catherine, I'm not going to lie to you, but your life sounds awful. <laughs> and I said to him, well, your life sounds awful to me. Oh. I don't want your life. You don't want mine. We don't have to have each yeah. other's lives. It's fine. Yeah. It's a different set of problems. I wouldn't want their problems. They wouldn't want our problems. Mm. And that's, that's okay. Yeah. You know, uh, like whatever they're doing, let's just say they're, um, they're a middle, middle manager at a company that sells uh, equipment to whatever. You know, they have their own stress of like, well, I didn't, uh, it, the, the, court, the quarter is almost over and I didn't reach my, my sales goal. I'm probably going to be fired. It's the same stress level as if like the booker of some of some clubs or, you know, happens to be there that night, goes out to have a smoke and comes in at the exact moment where a bit that you've done a million times that crushes somehow didn't crush, comes in when there's nothing and sees you like, ah, comes in at that exact moment when you're like, ah, I was expecting to close with this. Yeah. You know, they, they come in exhaling, exhaling the last of their cigarette. Let me just see the big clothes. I love this kid. What the fuck? Ah. And then they ah. walk into their office and then you tell the joke that lands. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting booked here for another four years. If, if ever. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. So what was your first sort of adult job, you know, as a, as a grown up? Out of, out of school? Yeah. Again, in a lot of ways, I, w- I, would, I would think I was kind of lucky with this where um, a distant relative through marriage had a law firm. Right. And I, um, I worked for him. I worked for the law firm. You can't even call it clerking because clerking is like when you have a law degree and you're able to like proofread legal documents. Mine was all, and it was an analog age. It was like, go down to the storeroom, which was, in another building, like, you know, in the winter, like put on the coat, go get the, go through the files and get, you know, like, you know, sometimes I did it right. Sometimes like, no, no, Mike, this is technically the client, but that's a case we did in 1972. I need the thing from 1982. Like, ah, like that. So stapling, making a million copies of stuff, Mm -hmm. nothing that I wanted to do, but it paid the bills. And mostly the, just the weirdest of coincidences. It was a friend of mine who had an extra room to rent in this town in Long Island. I didn't want to live at home after college. And this guy called, he said, Hey, my cousin is moving out. Do you, do you need a place to live? Yes. I'll be right there. And the law firm was down the street. 
it was just because I think I asked my uncle, do you know anybody who's hired any of your friends in town? He's like, you can work here as a clerk if you want. And it was hard. You know, I had to dress up. Mm-hmm. I was completely in the wrong place. I had no business being there. Everyone was nice. They knew that I was related to one of the people at the firm. Maybe they cut me some slack. I was very much aware that my behavior reflected on my relative. So I was as good as I can be, but I was absolutely in the wrong place. Yeah. In, in the sense of where I, but it allowed me to go to the clubs in New York City at night. It allowed me to hit some of the clubs in Long Island, Queens. I got to either perform or watch great comics. You know, if they were to say, I can get you on around two in the morning, happy holidays. I can watch real comics do their thing until two in the morning. And if anybody's left in the crowd, I can do my act. <laughs> but, but the bills were paid. Like I had, the rent was paid. I was able to buy cornflakes, um, put some gas in the car. My grandpa had just passed away. I loved him so much. And he had a, a car, kind of a beat up car, but it ran and it, it, it went to my dad, the car, you know, everything went to my dad and he had already had a car. So I got my grandpa's car, which looked very out of place in this nice neighborhood in Long Island, but I didn't care. And it had Florida plates too. It was a matter of time before it got towed, but it never did. But, you know, so things kind of happened for the best in that regard, where I had a launch pad to go do gigs, you know, yeah, and pay the bills. That car was there a, how much of an emotional connection it smelled like my grandpa but not in a bad way like he worked with, he was he used to be a carpenter and um and he worked on ships in the war and he just always was tinkering so it had the smell of like tools and you know grease and um you know there's a if you smell an old toolbox you go to a, a sale somebody's you know and there's a smell that even even though it's metal a million nails have a smell after a while there's a and I love that smell. And the car, that's what it was. The car sat in the garage and the garage was a work, one gigantic workbench, you know, mm-hmm. gasoline, turpentine, rags, probably a fire hazard waiting to happen. But <laughs> anyway, it, it smelled like him. And um, that was a neat, that was a nice enough thing. I think the upholstery soaked up the, the, the upholstery of the car smoked up, soaked up the smell of the garage. It's, it's soaked up the smell of somebody who worked with their hands, who was a cra- master craftsman of you know, there's no like sloppy nails sticking out. He was precise. He could eyeball things as good as, uh, as well as somebody who's using a, like a compass and a plane. And, a, you know, he was amazing that way. So smart. Yeah. And that's nice that you got um, freedom from, <laughs> was there freedom from him? Not freedom from him. But, no, but, uh, but mobility. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was uh, trying to say. Um, so then I imagine that helped with, with being able to gig as well having transport yes that was a big big help that made that made all the difference yeah because uh I was, yeah oh sorry no it's just i was i was able to line something up and go there as opposed to shit it's lined up now how do i get there you know yeah because the the public transport system i hear is not as uh sound in the states as it is here mm. It works, but here it's, it's a gem. You know, I know that if I get booked in Hull, I can get to Hull. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I can do it. I, I, in the, I can picture it like, we'll go to here and there's a national rail and blah, blah, blah. you know, there it's, it's a train to a train to a bus, you know? Yeah. That's, um, so that must, how, how is it for sort of touring then in the States? How do people sort of stay? Cause I, I know 
embarrassingly little about American comedy. I don't. I know if you're on Netflix, I know who you are and beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah. It's. Um, I should be better at it. But do you sort of stay in your state? Do you travel everywhere? Like what's? I guess it would be supply and demand. Like it would be. Um, when I lived in San Francisco, when I was in California, I chose a striking distance of things I could get to cheaply. You know how EasyJet and Ryanair and Flybe are kind of like, they're almost like coaches of the, of the sky where the, for short hauls. But you were amazed okay. where you're like, I, I bought a ticket somewhere and I wasn't able to, in the end, go to Germany, but it was 12 pounds. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to lose the 12 pounds, but it's not going to kill me. Yeah, I'm going to start like calling plain sky coaches now. They are, they, you know, well, I'm, I'm working on a bit about Ryanair being a flying duty free shop, but it's like, they, you know, like that. But uh, I would choose short hauls, Catherine. So like California, not terribly far from Colorado by flight, you know, like mm -hmm. so, uh, the Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico. I could get up to Seattle and um, Portland, Oregon very easily. That's like you could drive it, but it's really long. But a flight, you know, you barely there's not even coffee. It's like, you know, like a leap. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I lived in uh, New York, it would be easy to go to Boston. It'd be easy to go to Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., the Carolinas, uh, Maine, you know, stuff like that, the two different seaboards. So I chose things that I could buy a cheap flight for and then go do these gigs and either break even or come back with a couple bucks. Right. But I think for people who tour a lot, you know, it depends what level you're at, where I think there's nothing better than a road trip with comics. Like, you know, I've, I've done a million of those back in, that was fun to you know, pile into a car and drive whatever it was, do the gig, come back at night. You know, those are just, it's heaven if you're, you know what it's like. It can be hellish, but it's also a fun, like the time passes. I was going to say, it depends know. which comics you with. Right. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the comics. Yeah. Oh, great. 20 hours in a car with this douchebag. And it feels like 50 hours. Like, how, I, I don't remember my life before riding with this douchebag. It's been so long. Yeah. <laughs> when will he stop doing a bit? Yeah, right. Please. Yeah. Make him stop. Yeah, you turn on the radio, not taking the hint. Like, I'm just put, I love this song. Like, you know. <laughs> um. I think that's the problem. Some people are like, oh, it must be so fun hanging out with comedians. And like, we are not a fun people. Yeah. <laughs> we pull apart jokes. <laughs> Everyone's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they're like, you could offer something, and they're like, I tried that and it sucked. So no, no more advice. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> or you'd be like, here's a joke that I've been perfecting for three years, and they'll go, no, nah, here's what you need to do. Like, Hey, dickhead. <laughs> yeah, here's what you need to do. Drop the bit. I'm not dropping the bit. I like doing it. Nobody else likes you doing it. I like doing it. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, shut up. Stop. <laughs> it's a great bit. <laughs> right. So, having talked about your worst jobs, um, mm -hmm. what what's your best job thing? I would say now, being doing stand-up and, uh, and the TV work. But... Um, I, uh, I've had, I had things that paid the bills and they were varying degrees of, uh, satisfying or hard. Like before I could do stand up and, and the acting stuff full time, I was doing, um, event production and film and working as a set PA on films. <clears throat> so that was probably my favorite painless way to pay the bills. It wasn't irrelevant entirely because I was working as a set PA I was on movie sets 
not as an actor, but I got to see how things worked. And I believe that helped later on where you get to see not only what people do, but you understand it's a business. It might look like the magic of Hollywood, but it's a business. And yeah, I got to travel a little bit and I got to, you know, I got to, oh, so that's how they do it. You know, I got to work on a movie on the stunt unit and this guy did a high dive, not a high dive. He, he fell, to, fell to his death right. from the top of a bridge. This was in Fresno, California, which is way out there, somewhere between LA and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And they were air, there were divers in the water, aerating the water with hoses. So basically the guy was falling into like bubbles the size of a swimming pool. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like there were, there were gigantic industrial hoses the size of sewer pipes from below pumping air so he's not hitting hard water he's landing in 12 feet by 12 feet and maybe like 20 feet down bubbles you're not going to die falling into bubbles it's a lot of bubbles but because i remember like he's up there like shit that's wow what is he is he wearing armor you know it's like no he's there look down there like what are all the bubbles the camera doesn't have to see the bubbles they just have to see a guy going ah yeah and it was just so fucking cool to watch the divers like give a thumbs up like the bubbles are the bubbles are working and then (laughs) repeat bubble (laughs) yeah repeat bubble but also the second unit director the stunt director came from a stunt background so this was a brotherhood the way that comedy's a brotherhood where the guy did the ah fall to his death and then i saw the director pulled this guy over his name was the director was Dave and he pulled Jeff over like who was his guy like they were they came up together and Jeff's like how did it look and Dave goes I think we might need to do it again and this guy was getting ten thousand dollars a fall so there's no arguing with with the the director said we got to do it again we just want to make sure we got it you know like I I have a feeling was on the level where he's like they can't they don't want the, the, the expense to go back to this bridge rent it shut it down the permits with the city, the crew, all of the stuff, tons of money. But to pay Jeff another 10K to fall into bubbles, and you could, you know, like he knows what he's doing. We couldn't throw you or me off the bridge into the bubbles. We'd probably be okay, but he knows feet first or whatever he knows, he's a pro. Yeah. But to see that, to see that moment of like, I think we need to do it again. Nobody was giggling like, you know, like, yeah, I think we should do it at least one more time there was none of that you know like this yeah. was i believe it was legit 100 but they dave dave was a stuntman before a director and jeff you know he just knew like okay i'll get up on the bridge again it's ten thousand dollars in what yeah. a second <laughs> you know like whatever it takes to yeah anyway it was just very cool but just to watch that stuff these were, these were like 23 hour days. I, I got no sleep, but I loved every second. We shut down a freeway because there was a car chase and this big gigantic lorry skids and blocks the cars and a motorcycle goes under the lorry. And I was in heaven. You know, it was, that was probably the best job paying the bills was working on films. I, you know, I could talk about that. For the, I could burn up your whole podcast just telling you the films I worked on, the places I went from that and the, and the people I met just, and this was me charging walkie-talkie, like recharging the batteries in the walkie-talkie, moving someone's car, whatever it was, you know, like whatever it is. Yeah, well, tell me some of these stories, Mike Capazzola. <laughs> um, 
I just, you know, I just, I guess lectured at a, at a high, at a, at a primary, at a secondary school here. And I was just saying that um, I remember the very first day I showed up to work in California and um, they sent, they fired this kid who showed up very, he was supposed to be a PA and this is dirty work. This is not, you don't wear high heels. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And this guy showed up with these really nice shoes and he had on like a preppy sweater. He might've even worn a tie. He looked like he owned the production company. He didn't look like he was there to work. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I, I'm sure his name wasn't Chad, but it just sounds so <laughs> foo-foo. Like, so like Chad shows up and he's like, hey, I was told to report to, you know, and they're like, what's, what are you doing? He's like, I'm a set PA. And, go, and they said, get out of here. You're not working today. But I, get out, out. You, you're clearly not work to run around and get dirty. Go. Wingtip shoes. When someone said, oh shit, there's a, there's a car honking half mile down the road you got to get it you got to you got to fix that chad in his wingtip shoes is not going to get sweaty he's not going to he's not going to do what needs to be done mm-hmm. and literally without without even you know they didn't ask chad do you have other clothes they just it said everything about chad and they yeah. sent him home they sent him home wow and i thought it was the coolest thing in the world that to me you know, we were talking about like comics where it's like, it's a democracy. Like, like if somebody leaves a TV show and like, oh, be a comedy. like whoever, whoever he was, whoever got him the job, if he was someone's kid, it didn't matter. He wasn't there to work. He didn't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. You could see him like, like, let's just say the producer's daughter um, uh, gets something on her shirt. And, and then the producer goes, oh, my kid won't stop screaming. Can you find a supermarket and go buy some stain stick? Yeah. This was a guy who, uh, really, you could, you could see in his face, he was made to go like this. Uh, really? Yeah. Anyway, it was just, a, just the very first thing I saw in the movie set was this kid getting fired before he started. <laughs> and I just thought it was so cool. I was like, this oh, is wow. the business for me. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, and then later, you know, working on the other side of things, I got to see who I'm dealing with. Like it is a business. They're, they're not, no one's laughing They're It's, it's a little intense. It's a little stressful, but I knew, I knew everyone's job by the way. Yeah. So like when I started working on that side, I knew what the electrics did. I guess they're called sparks here, but I knew, I knew, I knew all that stuff. I, I was working in and around everybody doing all that stuff. I had to learn, you know, like you had to know the difference between hair and makeup and wardrobe. You know, it says it's in the job title, like wardrobe, they do the shirts, hair and makeup, they do the hair and makeup. But if this, hey, Mike, go to hair and makeup and see if such and such is ready for the scene. You know, you don't want to like, oh, Mike, that's the catering tent. Hair and makeup are the people with the hair and makeup. Like you, yeah, you got to know. Or if they say, oh, he left hair and makeup already. He's uh, he's at the honey wagon. And that's the place where the, they're doing the paperwork in the motorhome, the trailer, you know, the, the caravan. You know, just it was it's just like the way like if you worked in a circus and you have to know the difference between like the the strong man and the lion tamer, you know, like. It was, a, it was a traveling bunch of gypsies and loonies and I, I loved it. Yeah. You know? So how, how does one get into that? Um, <laughs> when I li- well, no, no. It, when I lived in DC, I worked for uh, a production company. They did event, corporate events and industrial videos, corporate videos. And I, so I had this, before moving to San Francisco, I had been working for quite a while on parallel stuff where it's, I worked in a job where things had, they were right or they were wrong. You know, if I was making a video for uh, the annual meeting, if I was helping to produce a video for the annual meeting of the dentists of America and they, and they're going to show it at a conference and they want it to be three minutes, it's going to be three. It can't be like, 
it's 245 is that all right mm -hmm. or it's, it's 303 is that okay like when they say this thing including the credits has to be three minutes exactly because they time these things and then you know whatever and so i was working in a job where things were exact like an air traffic controller would be not as intense but when they have you can't like uh the the runway can only accommodate two planes can we put four yeah, don't worry, they'll be landing at like, I don't know, 9.45, something yeah. like that. Or, or at a right angle, like he'll smack into it. If you have him crossing the runway when this one's landing, they're going to collide. Like, maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think being able to show a track record, this is before the internet was everywhere. I had to, you know, it was like kind of like handshake and paperwork and like, here's my resume, literally like a sheet of paper. Like I worked in DC at this place. I don't think they had time to verify it, but if they did, the people I worked for would say he's prompt, he's courteous, he's reliable, and he's a hard worker. That's all they want to hear. Yeah. But um, a friend, a friend of mine was working on this cop movie, the one where where I wound up on the stunt unit. Yeah. You know, when I guest lectured at this primary school, Kevin, they were asking me, and I and I said that um, there was something that that changed everything on the first day, and it was just, you know, you can't count on coincidence but when it happens you have to be ready to strike and it's just like let's say you want to join the circus and then there's like a a van passing by like do you want to join the circus and like yeah. you know it's got to build like that kind of thing like yeah. you have to understand that it's like look look what are you waiting for a personal invitation that's a personal invitation do you want to join the circus call this number and it's coming by just as you're like i want to join the circus yeah. so when i right after that guy got fired there's this dude fumbling around for, he had a cigarette in his mouth. This is a true story. And this to me is like my, where things changed. So I was just going to be working whatever as a set PA. And there was this guy look, looking for matches. And my friend, Josh, who got me the job or got me the meeting, mm -hmm. had said, Mike, before we go there this morning, which was like five in the morning, he's like, bring the following things. You might need them, maybe not. But if you're the guy that has these things, you're a champ. Yeah. He's like, bring, bring a Sharpie marker. Cause so, at some point we got to label the can. We get, which one's my Pepsi, pow, whatever you bring a lighter. Cause they're all smoking. They're all, they're all really fidgety and upset about stuff. And the cigarettes are their lifeline. Mm -hmm. Bring a lighter or bring matches, bring a marker. Um, a couple other things that were like, you know, and I had, I was there. I was the guy with the lighter when this guy has the cigarette and he's like, you're a fucker. And I go, Hey man, I threw him the lighter. He goes, thanks what's your name? I go, Mike. He goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I, I just, I start today. I'm, um, I'm on first unit. Josh got me the job. And he goes, uh, first day on the job, huh? First film ever. First feature film. I used to do corporates and industrials in DC. It was like a quiet enough moment. It was first job. That must be something. I go, do you, and he was British. He had an accent. And, and I said, uh, can I ask what was your first shoot? And he goes, uh, this crappy little movie in the 70s called Honky Tonk Freeway. And here's the crazy part. I go, I know Honky Tonk Freeway. He goes, how do you know Honky Tonk Freeway? I said, they painted a bunch of houses pink in Orlando, Florida. He goes, how do you know that? I said, because my cousin Melody's house was one of the houses. He goes, that's fucking crazy. And a popka? I go, yeah, popka. He goes, that's crazy. This was 19. I was like, that was 76. My grandparents had just moved to Florida. He's like, yeah, 76. And he said, that was the first time he'd been in America. He went to Florida, which is not like the crown jewel of America. Like it must've been for him, like, you know, to go from working on movies in England at Pine Rock or whatever, Pinewood. And then he's in, yeah. you know, but he goes, that's crazy. That's just crazy. You know, he, he saw what I saw, like, it's fucking crazy. 
He gives me back the lighter. He goes, what do you want to do here? And I knew instinctively, I couldn't go like this. I don't know. Yeah. So I just said, I want to work on the stunt unit. Like if I wanted, if I, if I wanted to work in hair and makeup, I would have said hair and makeup or mm-hmm. wardrobe or catering. If I, if I said, well, I'm getting, I'm, I'm going to a food school next year. I want to work on the catering unit. You know, this is serious stuff when you're feeding an army and they want good food. Yeah. It can't be like a bologna sandwich. They make good food because people work hard. Anyway, so I go, I want to work on the stunt unit. He goes, uh, let me introduce you to Dave. He's the second unit director. This is the stunt guy. Yeah. And it was just lucky that Mike was, a, was kind of a big deal on the film shoot. He wasn't um, like a driver or someone who couldn't just walk it over and go, Mike's with you now. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I remembered the name Honky Tonk Freeway and my cousin Melody, when we were seven, like, they painted the house pink for this movie, a yeah. Hollywood movie they're shooting on. Just a fucking fluke. Yeah. Like, fluke. And then he's like, uh, whatever, this, this is Mike. He's going to be on the, on the stunt unit. And I went to the stunt unit and I got to car chases. And there was one scene where, you know who Michael Keaton is? Yeah. There was a scene where this helicopter was filming Michael Keaton in a prison transfer van. I didn't have to look like Michael Keaton. They just needed some guy in a bait or like an orange jumpsuit mm-hmm. being visible in, in shackles on a, the most dangerous man of all time. He escaped from everything. But being seen in this police van going down a windy road, the helicopter, nobody's going to see from the helicopter. That's not Michael Keaton. It's Mike Capizola. They're not going to, you know, they just <laughs> no. needed an orange. Because I mean, Mike, what, how tall are you? I'm like, I'm six feet. Like, go to, go to wardrobe. Tell them you're, you're doubling for Michael Keaton. You need the orange jumpsuit. I got in the jumpsuit. I got in the van. There's a helicopter overhead. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, when the helicopter landed with the footage you know i was out of the jumpsuit i got in the van with a driver and went to the helipad and got the footage like and i and i had to duck under the blades and it was just so exciting yeah that sounds it amazing was, i was 24 maybe 25 it was so cool yeah and it, i i you know and also more importantly i was working all day so there was no time to spend money like it wasn't it didn't pay a lot but i but the um the food guy knew that the PAs made no money. So at the end of the day, you want to take 600 bagels, have at it. Yeah. The food would spoil. He couldn't be a cheapskate. He had a budget. He could, they couldn't go like this. Joe, how old is this bagel? That's ah, the uneaten ones from yesterday. Yeah. Or, and the milk was always, you know, they didn't want milk from yesterday. They wanted like, if they're getting, putting their milk in their coffee, they wanted, it's a fresh lid. You know, you gotta, it's not mm-hmm. like, was this the last third from yesterday? So yeah all the let's say there was like 10 PAs they were all in their 20s no one made money so you could always at the end of the day and I remember this guy Joe Rose he was the the food guy and Joe hey Joe what's left he's like I put aside some uh locks for you here's all the bagels uh who who drinks and California was ahead of the curve like who likes almond milk almond milk I'll try it. You know, it's things yeah. like that. Like this is 96 almond milk. It's, you might as well have said who likes magic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so just, just to be able to like, do, you know, go to the helipad, get the camp, get the footage, bring it to the van. Then they bring it to somebody else to go to the lab. And just it was so yeah. that was my favorite straight job before being able to make the jump to, uh, to stand, to stand up and acting. So I guess it's too, things that I'd like to ask about the first I think I I really like that idea of turning up with a pocket full of things that people need 
sort of like the the bridesmaids box you know where you go you're like i've got safety pins i've got chewing gum i've got yeah. you know, like everything that you might yeah. need chapstick or something yeah yeah i think that's a really beautiful idea and i had a friend who would carry a lighter who didn't smoke for yeah. that reason um and i think that's a very wise piece of advice um but i, I guess i was asked like is it like so when i was uh, 15 i got a job in a cafe and for 10 years I worked in cafes because that's what I got into if you see what I mean so is that like with stunt you know you got into stunt through that beautiful moment and then do you do you, can you just do you just sort of stay in that because that's what you sort of have experience in so the next job is in that and then the next one or is it more fluid in that you can sort of just go from sort of special it's whatever special. they needed Right. Yeah, no, it was whatever, like uh, the movie after that was uh, Flubber. Oh, yeah. it, it, was, it was a Robin Williams comedy, a Disney comedy with Robin Williams called Flubber. He's like a professor who invents, I never saw it, but. Uh, I grew up on that film. I so you know it, it. Yeah. yeah. I loved it. And there were, there, was, uh, there were crowd scenes with hundreds of people at this. It took forever to shoot this basketball game scene. I don't, you know, but the fact that I was an extrovert and the fact that I had done stand-up they assigned me to the to the casting department that so some of the time I would be at the casting office like are you available all day tomorrow from 7 a.m until midnight to work on Treasure Island which is far away by the way Treasure Island was this island in, in the in the bay mm-hmm. it used to be a naval base it's a gigantic it's got an airfield it's a decommissioned naval base which they do a lot here decommissioned air force and naval places are now film studios mm-hmm. and um but the fact they couldn't have a shy person like excuse me can I have your, can I, excuse me, you know, you're dealing with a thousand people, but they knew that I could um, just with this, they didn't want me to be funny, but they knew that I wouldn't be shy. I could, everyone with a green wristband, follow Becky, you know, like that, like they, you yeah. just couldn't be, do you, if you don't, hello. Like so, me, I would be, yeah. <laughs> right. excuse me, excuse, excuse, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> Or stay there it's okay yeah <laughs> but but there was like a, a bit of um detail where like let's just say let's just say you know you're distinctive with your hair like and your glasses like people would notice like let's say you're over robin williams shoulder mm-hmm. and they're shooting all day you can't go like this oh i forgot to tell you i have to leave at three i'm picking up my daughter from school like yeah. it fucks the shot if the person with the red hair and the distinctive glasses is suddenly vanished yeah so anybody who had a conflict, they would have to report it. You make a note like, okay, don't this person who has to leave at three, even though they said they're available from seven in the morning to midnight because they wanted the job. Sure, I can work all day, you know, but then they get there and like, ah, craziest thing. I have to pick up my daughter. So you knew like uh, her, not in any close-ups, not, not in any shots where we'll miss her. Yeah. You know, so it was, but this was like a couple weeks of filming and it was, a you know, but these were crowd shots, but sometimes I was in the office and sometimes I was on the set, but a lot of calling, like, are you available? No. Yeah. Like that, you know, but it was uh, tons of stuff. Some of it was fun. Some of it was just simply hard, hard work and a paycheck, but there was travel. It was, that was never lost on me that I like, you know, even if it wasn't an exotic place, the fact that there was travel was, you know, kind of cool to be able to, to, to pack a bag, you know, bring my Walkman, bring a paperback, pack my toothbrush, a couple pairs of underwear. I'm like, I'm going to Santa Cruz, California for four days. You know, like, like that. Yeah. 
and it's in the industry that you wanted to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I loved every second of it. And also seeing the movie later, there's a sense of pride where you like, shit, that basketball scene that took five weeks. And then on the, on the film, it's just a minute, a minute, you know, that's insane to me. It's how it goes. You know that. I know everybody, everybody knows that, you know, but it, it's how it goes. But most importantly, like I, I, I was getting paid and I didn't have time to spend money, which it was, I just, I've always been a movie junk, music junkie. And, you know, I had a pretty large CD collection before moving here. I got rid of a lot of it, but you know, that was where, so I wasn't, I wasn't buying CDs. You know, I was, I was being fed. I didn't have to pay for food. I was being fed and I had a paycheck and I wasn't spending money. It's like, it wasn't leaking. Yeah. Like that. Sustainable. <laughs> it was a sustainable life for 10 years. Yeah. That's great. So now how do you feel sort of being on the other side of it? Um, is it like, so when I first moved to London, I got yeah. a job on the door of a comedy night and now I perform at the comedy night and, yeah. it, and it's a little comedy night and it blew my fucking mind. Yeah. <laughs> my, my little country bumpkin mind is like, oh my God. How do, do you get that being on the, on the acting side of it? I almost feel guilty. Like I'm trespassing. I don't, I assume it'll pass one day or maybe it won't, you know, or, or like, let's say the scene is over and I see some kid who clearly has been up for eight days straight. And he's like taking us, you know, like one of those C stands that hold lights or whatever. And I instinctively like, let me help you with that. Like, no, 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 no. You're the talent. Just, just go, go chill out. Like, yeah, I can help you carry it. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, like that. It's, but it's instinctual. I see somebody struggling with whatever and I go over to help. It's it, that, you know, it's fun being, it's all make-believe. That's the crazy part. You know, like I just, I never is lost on me when I, when I got, you know, if I'm working on something and I, I wander off when I'm, when I'm done, I see like plane wreckage or, or a submarine, the top third of a submarine you know, decaying next to like part of an awning from a Chinese restaurant, like seeing these props, you know, like, yeah. like the top, you know, I have a photo of me in front of the top third of a submarine. I think it's called the mast or the sail, the part where they would eventually come up through the hatch and like, ah, Finland, you know, whatever it yeah. is, you know, <laughs> like where they would like stand on board with binoculars, like, you know, like seeing this thing that's painted wood or whatever but it looks but it looks it shoots like a submarine you know next to part of an awning from a new york city chinese restaurant i love that stuff it's ridiculous yeah that's right and did you do any um training to to be an actor i meant to ask what you did in in uni in college i took acting classes but i i didn't study acting the way you know like theater you know Mm -hmm. i took as many acting classes i was as i was able to but I didn't uh, go to acting school when I didn't, you know, I guess you call it on the job training. And also my, the things that I do aren't big enough where they need someone who can do a deep, deep dive into the character of such and such. They're, they're usually some variation on a six foot tall, white haired, middle-aged guy. That's it's that I'm, you know, I'm playing that, which is not much of a stretch, you know, <laughs> fair enough. But do you think that's um, because so I, I went to drama school, but not not to do drama, um, but just seeing people there, like the hours that they have to put in. And, you know, I lived with actors who, you know, you can't have a job whilst you're there, which, yeah, I mean, that that just 
I like I would not have been able to do uni if I couldn't work yeah. as well. Like, yeah. You know, it immediately um, begins closing out, closing up doors for people. Yeah. Um, just through how difficult it is, and then if you, if, you know, it's like, well, you, where have you studied? What school did you go to? Uh, yeah. And you know, it, it, it just immediately like. I like playing this game where I watch stuff on television and then Google how privileged the actors <laughs> are, you know, right. films and stuff. So, but if you, that's not a route that you went down, so do you have any sort of advice, I guess, for people who maybe can't um, can't do the expensive school route and perhaps have to do the sort of stand-up route of it, if, if you will, where you just go out and find stuff and, and do it. It's all hustling, you know, like there, there's a, there's a kind of, a, it's probably a very American, it's not, a, I can see where it's seen as arrogance, but like this hustling and like, how about me, you know, as opposed to, oh no, I don't want to be a bother, you know, but it's like, it's hustling. It's all, it's, it's like, it's asking what you want. It's, a, it's asking for what you want. Either some people would say asking the universe for what you want, but I would say asking the people who are, you know, running the show what, what you want, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I guess making your own luck by having oh, a lighter yes. in your pocket. Yes. Make, making your own luck. But, you know, what was there? There was a, what is the saying? Fortune, f- luck favors the prepared. I like that. Yeah. Luck favors the prepared. It's, it's probably very true. Like there's a degree of like, you know, if you're in the right place at the right time, but you're just lazy or you were busy, uh, you know, looking at TikTok videos, you're out, you know, there's, it's like that. Yeah. That's very wise. Yeah. Luck favors the prepared. Yeah. And And I think that's an old saying, Catherine. I think that goes back to like, I'm sure it's like, you know, Greek, it, 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 it's a truism that like with human nature, that it, it's, it could be that old, uh, that old as coming from Aristotle or something. Yeah. No, I, I think it's uh, Mike Capazola quote. Um, no, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> if, only, if only there was some way to verify this quote's origin somehow using research instantaneously. Some kind of internet. Yeah. <laughs> something that's marshaled all the knowledge of mankind. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think that's um, Mike Capazzola, twenty twenty two. We can <laughs> credit right. that one too. Right. <laughs> um, well, on that, I think that that is our time. I could keep talking to you forever about this job, but um, alas, I think <laughs> we've uh, we we have days to live. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you particularly. Um, so where where can people find you online? What have you got going on? What are you have you got things to plug? Nothing to I'll, I'm I'm doing the Camden Fringe and I'm doing the Brighton Fringe. I have a one man show I'll be doing there in May and August. That's exciting. What venue are you doing for Camden? Camden, I'm doing the Museum of Comedy. Oh, nice. Which I love. It's a great. They're just great. And um, and also the 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 two North Down. Yeah. That's Although I'm having a hard time with the Ventron. It's hard for me to figure it out. So allegedly I'm doing those places, but I know I haven't finalized everything. So, but it's, I think I'm three fourths of the way, but it's, I'm kind of, these things are hard for me. So I think I'm, I'm wrangling event, Eventotron, but yeah, allegedly two, two North Down in the Museum of Comedy for the Camden Fringe with my show called Self-Defense for Time Travelers. It's kind of like a funny TED talk on time travel. I love it. Thank you. Uh, when when do you have dates for those? 
I can't remember them off the top of my head, but if you can, if people can spell Capizola correctly, it's on my website, Capizola.com. Believe it or not, that wasn't taken. I got Capizola.com. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, are you Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, I'm on, I'm findable on those things. There's not too many other Mike Capizolas out there. So pretty much if you type my name incorrectly in either of those, you'll get me. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah. And oh, I'm also doing the Camden Fringe as well. I always forget to plug my things at the end of this. What's your show, Catherine? What's it called? It's called Scream Inside Your Heart at Camden oh, Comedy Club. That's um, great. On the 5th and 6th of August. Um, uh, it's a great title. Yeah. Um, it was from, do you remember uh, in Japan, they opened up the, you know, after the pandemic, they reopened a, um, a what's it called? A, a theme park. And uh, they were saying to stop the spread of COVID instead of screaming outwardly, which would, mm. you know, you'd expel particles and yeah. germs or whatever. Just scream inwardly. Wow, <laughs> scream inside your heart. <laughs> That's amazing. I never knew about that. That's very funny to, to, to twist that into comedy. That's funny. Yeah, it's a, a beautiful set of words, I think. And then there's this video, Google it, of uh, these two park executives in suits just going around this roller coaster with just like really blank faces. <laughs> Unaffected by gravity. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. That's um, funny. Well, thank you so much uh, for thank being you. on here. I will definitely come and see your show um, and have a wonderful day. Thank you for letting me babble about myself for uh, over an hour. That was really very fun. Like a nice walk down memory lane with some of the uh, film stuff. Thank you. It was fun.